Welcome to What Is It About The Weather, where we're always talking weather, but not so much the weather. This week we're going to be talking about weather warnings. Are we doing enough? How do you like your weather warnings? Ah, just a few things that we'll dig into. Let's see, where was I though? Organization name. What is it about the weather? Name Mark. Last name, Jelinek. Let's see. Title. Host. All right, all right. You're wondering why am I sitting here wasting your time. Well, I'm filling out the application for what is it about the weather to become a weather-ready nation ambassador. Now, that phrase may not mean anything to those folks in my global audience. Heck, it may you may not even know about it in the U.S., but you should. So it's a program that really focuses on making sure people are well-informed and prepared for severe weather, which, you know, we're going to be talking about today with weather warnings, right? So don't you think it's good that we minimize loss of life and property and try to avoid the impacts wherever we can? Well, that's what this program is about. And as you know, it's National Weather Podcast Month, and one of the hosts from another podcast had suggested that uh, we all look to become Weather Ready Nation Ambassadors is part of what we do in our efforts, and I couldn't agree more. So I'll get that form filled out when I'm not sitting here talking to you or talking to you, recording something for you to listen to whenever you might listen to it at some point. But keep an eye out. Hopefully soon I'll be able to add that that logo to the What Is About the Weather podcast website. All right, let's talk about our topic weather warnings. How many alarms do you really need, right? How many is too many? How reliable are the ones you get? You're probably wondering, why did this come to mind? Well, you know, it is, it's severe, kind of severe weather season here where I live. And even this week, the focus is floods. But I've been thinking about this topic for a while, and it really probably start, you know, brewing in my head when I had that tornado warning last year and I mentioned that before first one I'd heard in a while got alerts from a variety of things from my smartphone to weather radio to even the sirens it's been a long time since I'd heard those sirens a lot of different technologies there some new some old but it made me wonder, are we doing what we need to be, considering someone came up and didn't know what the what the warning was, and it just struck me, are, are we doing what we need to do to make sure people are properly informed with severe weather? Another thing I was struck by, you know, it was probably a month after that, I was walking, doing a walk close by, and went past a adult retirement community, and noticed just tons of digital TV antennas in the windows. You know, everybody talks about the cord cutting revolution being a, a millennial thing, but here it was, all these people clearly weren't getting cable TV. Using newer technologies. Have no more rabbit ears in, here in the U.S. But as a reminder that, you know, warnings are, it's it's not just about me and how I do it. It's about people of, of different ages, different 
means, and they all have different channels through which they get important information like this. And I think that was even driven home, and I mentioned here before, I've had the pleasure of working with a variety of people over time that have been, we're savings lives, and you know, not all of our work's been in that, but sometimes it's very important. And Peter Webster, I was at a ceremony that he was recognized for his efforts. One of the projects that he led was one about floods in Bangladesh. And the system there, again, a different type of socioeconomic environment. And they were using text messages on phones, but they were also using flags. It was a recognition that not everybody had that technology available to them. Here was a country that, you know, wasn't built with weather, weather radio or, you know, siren systems that you find in some countries around the globe. Used a very low-tech solution to try to save lives during severe weather events. So we have all these questions that we need to answer. And, and today's episode is going to kind of be as much about throwing the questions out there as it is about answers. Because, you know, it's more of a thinking thing. I don't know that I have all the answers. I Certainly, I'm far from being one to have all the answers. But it does make me think about how should we be doing it? How might we do it better? And how we take into account all these different elements of society that we need to when we're doing this. Now, weather warnings, you know, we think about the newer systems, right? Or even the fact that, you know, for instance, weather radio here in the U.S., it's kind of something that's, you know, it's a little over 50 years old, but it's a relatively young technology. But we have these other things like, you know, it's not, weather warnings aren't new. I mean, if you think about lighthouses or foghorns, I mean, they were warning on weather in weather related events they provided that beacon when you know severe weather was at hand to keep you safe and then even something like the telegraph you know and how much that evolved maybe not immediate or short range issues like tornadoes or severe thunderstorms or things like that but certainly with things like tropical cyclones or major blizzards things that tended to have a little more lead time involved with them. The telegraph was a huge advance in making sure people were warned, right? So we have all these amazing technologies or channels, some of them more traditional. You know, you think about TV and radio, been there for a long time. And like I said, with longer lead time events, even print media, things like weather radio, not old technology, in terms of, you know, telegraph age, but certainly not a newer technology, or these siren systems. You know, weather radio is kind of, I don't know, it's something big here in the U.S., and I know it's used in Canada, and they've implemented it some in Mexico and even places like Bermuda, but this is that's not a global thing necessarily. But siren warning systems are used in a lot of countries around the globe. Again, an older technology, not necessarily exclusive to weather, but it's a traditional method in which we get these things out. But you know, we've had these advances, whether it's the Internet and the amazing things that you could do with websites. Now, when websites first started, push technologies weren't so big, but you know, it was easy to put this information out there. And over time, that's evolved into more real-time information, particularly with the advent of smart devices, you know, from 
Palm Pilots all the way through the latest uh, Samsung or iPhone, whatever it might be, the advances in that technology have allowed us to do tremendous things with how we keep people informed in real time. You know, and then there's social media, these platforms, right? Now, there's pros and cons with social media, as I talked about some of those last week, but, you know, the timeliness factor um, isn't it? It brings up issues, right? So, for all these advances, we have issues. And then there are things that, you know, we don't use here in the U.S., but like in Australia, they have a telephone alert system that'll call and leave a message on a voicemail if you don't answer, or again, send you a text message. But it's again, it's a different type of push technology, right? It's it's not waiting for you to absorb. It's getting that information out there. Or even that flag system I mentioned in Bangladesh. I mean, it's an active system. So some more sophisticated, some less sophisticated, each with their pros and cons. But what's the right way to be putting this information out there for the general public? How do we leverage all these different channels and methods of communication to be more effective with our weather warnings. Now, we have real problems with some of these older technologies, whether it's the weather radio or traditional radio. They're, they, because they lack this sophistication, sometimes they do this overwarning thing, and this gets into last week's episode about crying wolf. I remember when I got my first weather radio as a kid. And I think my parents, shortly after they bought it, wished they had never bought me that weather radio. I thought it was a cool thing, but it would go off all the time. Because when the weather radios first came out, you know, anything that was broadcast on the antenna that you were receiving set off your your weather radio, right? And now they've become more sophisticated. You can narrow it down to the county that you live in, or you can do multiple counties. But still, and we talked some some about this previously, which is, what if I'm in one part of the county that's, you know, the weather's already passed through, and the alert doesn't do anything to me? Do you really want to be woken up at 2 in the morning? This gets into how many, how many alarm clocks do you really need kind of problem. So... Older technologies, analog technologies, are harder to update. And quite frankly, some countries are even doing away with it. Like Norway has gotten rid of traditional radio. And that left a lot of people scrambling for how they get information. And particularly when it comes to saving, yeah, with entertainment it's one thing, but particularly when it comes to saving lives, you know, abandoning a technology, it can be a dangerous thing for people that are dependent on it. And how do we go about making sure they're there? Then we get in these other things. You know, you've heard about all these different techniques, and clearly there's different ones in different countries, but shouldn't we be looking for a way to standardize things? I mean, we have some of that, you know, even locally. I know that, you know, there's some areas where the sirens work better than others, and, you know, even cell phone covers, you think about it, right? Your cell phone doesn't always get signal, or it doesn't always get signal from your provider, So there's this neat technology within the cell phones that allow to send alerts, kind of like weather radio does. But if I have T-Mobile and I happen to be where only Verizon has signals, should my phone go off? 
you know, and getting all the parties to participate in that. And, you know, you, you look at an example like we have 911 here in the U.S., and I know 911 is used in some other countries. But most places, whether it's 911 or some other method, they have this kind of one number you dial in case of an emergency. Now, when I was a kid, you didn't have that. You programmed in. I mean, I still remember buying phones where you'd program in the the police and the fire and, and that sort of thing. But 911 did away with that. On the flip side, however, we have these challenges with mobile phones and 911 because it doesn't always know exactly where you are. And how can we implement that globally so that there's, when you're traveling, maybe internationally, no matter where you go, you don't have to think about it because that, the technology is really there, right? But you want to make sure it always works. So how do we implement these standards, some sort of global standards, so that no matter where people are, and again, this can be going from community to community or across their country or across the globe, that we have we have these technologies that we ought to be able to come to some agreement about how to implement these standards. But as you know, it's not always that simple. However, when it comes to saving lives, we ought to be thinking about ways to make it that simple. You know, and as I brought up last week, we even get into who should be delivering these alerts and these warnings. You know, we've, we have people, I mean, let's be real. IBM got into the business of weather because theoretically there's money in weather, and I get that. But when it comes to issuing these important warnings, should private companies even be doing that? Right? So we had this case in, I guess, the Dallas area a few weeks ago, or in the last couple of months. I don't remember the exact date. Where, you know, there's severe weather warnings, and was that weather warning consistent with what the local National Weather Service was saying? And who do you believe? Who do you count on? So here we are. We've got all these these challenges, and these are just some. You know, these are just some that came to my mind. And it's not an easy thing because it's like, you know, who should be delivering it? I, I mean, I understand that there's money in weather, but sometimes it's not a question of money. It's a question about saving lives. And if a company is motivated to make money, now you could argue this. If they're motivated to make money and they're not doing a good job at saving lives, they'll not make money because no one will buy their product. But some others would argue that putting people in that experiment, they should never be put in that experiment. When there's a perfectly good system in place that you know works through a, a well-known channel, you know, I, I use this source. I use the National Weather Service here, for instance, in the U.S. That's the authority I know. But we get in the same thing, which is then how do you alert the people? You know, it, it, it becomes this circular argument, right? Should there be private people involved or private companies involved versus a national authority? And at that time, should there be set channels for communicating this? Because as we all know, as the technology evolves, especially these newer technologies. We get new operating systems every year on all these mobile devices, right? And the apps have to update. The apps are kind of constantly updating now, right? And I've noticed even little things at, between operating system updates and app updates that have triggered, because I have about, I, just even on my phone, I have probably six or seven ways that I would get alerts. And as I mentioned before with that whole tornado warning, some of them were very timely and appropriate went off essentially the same time the siren did. But others, I got the warning well after the problem was gone. So how do you make sure that, that 
if we're going to remove these older technologies, that the newer technologies are as reliant and as robust and as mature such that they're not victim to the latest phone. How can you make sure that all this happens with these this replacement cycle of every year to two years with all these devices? So, again, all challenges we have to deal with, for all their pros, we've got to make sure we minimize their cons. A lot of questions to think about. I, it's interesting. I, I do think we should do more to pinpoint because I do think the whole crying wolf thing that we talked about last week is it's important to minimize that. But I also think it's important to not throw out these old systems just because they're old. But there's got to be the balance with, you know, you can't endlessly keep up old systems that cost a lot of money. And I realize that, but maybe a cycle that's not so fast and you know, takes into account different age groups who consume differently and different socioeconomic situations about how people consume that information. But what does all this mean for you as an individual? And what should you do, right? Well, pretty straightforward. Know what your options are. Be aware, did you know? I mean, like I said, I, I was I was thinking about all these channels. And just yesterday, like I said, it's it's flood week where I am, but they put out this nice graphic that was shared with me by someone on Facebook that highlighted all these channels. And I'm guessing some people didn't even know they could get weather alerts through these different ways. So one, know your options. Two, create redundancy for yourself. If you've traditionally counted on a a weather radio or, or some other radio or media outlet wherever you are around the globe, leverage your your smart device if you have one. Or think about how the internet might be available to you or any of these channels. So create your own redundancy. Don't always count on one system because you don't know when it's going to go away always. And it's always good to have a backup when it comes to saving your life. But probably more important than than just the how you receive the alerts, it's being cognizant that there might be one. And, and, and I'll give you an example. So with that whole tornado warning, had I not known that there was a chance of tornado warnings that day, I might have gotten an alert and thought nothing of it. So be aware, and this is something that everybody can generally do. I don't care how you consume your your weather information. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little bit technically savvy anyways, but think about each day, how as you get on with your day, by just knowing that there's a chance, excuse me, I'm stuttering there, a chance of severe weather, how much different that might make you react to sounds you hear, whether it's on your phone or a siren or something else that comes across some media outlet that's sharing that information with you. So just by knowing there's a risk of it, it can heighten your senses to reacting to those sounds when you do hear them. And I can't impress upon you enough how important that is. So take that step. Know what's going on. Now, all this is about saving lives. And I get back to, you know, thinking about this whole thing globally at times. And when I was doing research on this, you know, it was funny because... 
the whole idea of Bangladesh that I mentioned before, never really thought about it, but I was going through the worst tornado fatality events. And I'm so used to hearing about tornadoes in the U.S., and yes, you hear about them in other parts of the globe, but U.S. tornadoes is kind of a U.S.-centric topic. But actually, the largest fatality, six of the ten cases were in, oddly enough, Bangladesh. Very high concentration of people. It's a zone where you can get these events, even if they don't happen as frequently, maybe, as they do in the U.S. But the challenges of high density of people, not a lot of advance warning, can lead to serious loss of life. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in a situation where you get alerts and you can be thankful for those. So don't don't take them for granted. Do use them. Now, as you know, it is National Weather Podcast Month. And certainly some of the other podcasts involved have touched on this and other related topics. You know, I was listening to one this morning, Weather Hype, who had done a nice piece on on actually the evolution of, of NOAA's weather radio and things going on there. Weather junkies and Weather Hype are getting together next week to kind of talk about social science and weather. And certainly this is a topic related to that. So I'll put some links will be in the show notes if you want to touch these. You know, the Weather Brains episode I mentioned last week, again, same thing with this whole who issues the warning things. Stormfront Reeks has done one recently about the social science aspect and had Laura Myers on who's been on a, a few of these podcasts. The folks at Tornado Talk, as you can imagine, you know, hitting on severe weather alerts is key. And they've had an, they did a nice episode with social media not too long ago. And, and uh, we've got a couple more podcasts, Carolina Weather Group, Ice Station Houseman, that I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about all these guys next week. But check the show notes for if this topic is of interest to you. Check out some of these other episodes. It can give you kind of an introductory step into some other podcasts that you might be interested in. Now, let's wrap it up and let you get on your way. I always think about how many people listen, and you know, most people I think have listened to a previous episode. But I'm going to hit this as if you've never listened before, because you know, maybe maybe this is your first episode. So I like to close with some very basic things: how to get hold of the podcast or me. You can send a simple email: what is it about the weather at gmail.com. You can go to the website: what is it about the weather.com and fill out the contact form, or see other ways. To connect on social media. And supporting the podcast is a great thing. Now, I want to take a moment to thank Jack, who not only has done all these things, actually, I think he's probably done the whole RSVP method. Well, he made the final step. He did the P, which is pledge, and we'll get to that in a minute. But rate, whether it's iTunes or some other podcast channel, if, if how you receive your podcast allow you to rate podcasts, please take the time to do that. Share. Tell other people about it. You know, we're all of us weather podcasts are talking about each other, but, you know, it, it's, it's important for you to do it too, for you to tell others what you're listening to, what you're absorbing, because that personal recommendation can make a big difference. Validate. Get in touch. Topics you like. Things you'd like to hear about. Things you don't like about the podcast. Let me know. And pledge. As I mentioned, thank you, Jack, for leveraging the PayPal method. A lot of others use Patreon. You can do either way in supporting the podcast. But all your support, no matter how you do it through the RSVP method, it's greatly appreciated. So until next time, always remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.
We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word super production.